Florida is a state that has been placed in pop culture time and time again. Movies like Scarface have made big cities like Miami popular with its diverse population and its never-ending nightlife. But what if I told you that there was another side of Florida that many aren't aware of? What if I told you that a string of murders in a small town at a university inspired a box office hit? The murders that we'll be discussing today are known as the Gainesville Ripper murders. These crimes inspired a hit horror film that many of you may know that was simply titled Scream. Imagine going to college and being away from your family for the first time in your life. It's the beginning of the semester and the August Florida sun hits your skin. You make plans to go to the beach with your new roommates and you're having the time of your life. Now imagine that as soon as the semester is underway, someone starts going around the campus and brutally murdering your fellow classmates. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Box of Horrors, True Crime. In the early morning hours of Friday, August 24th, a man named Danny Rowling broke into the apartment shared by 17-year-old university freshman Sonja Larson and Christina Powell. He found Powell asleep on the downstairs couch. He stood over her briefly, but did not wake her up. He chose instead to explore the upstairs bedroom where Larson was also asleep. Danny Rowling murdered Larson, first taping her mouth shut to stifle her screams and then stabbing her to death with a kabar knife. She died trying to fend him off. Rowling then went back downstairs, taped Powell's mouth shut, bound her wrists together behind her back, and threatened her with a knife as he cut her clothes off. He then raped her and forced her face down onto the floor, where he stabbed her five times in the back. Rowling posed the bodies in sexually provocative positions. He then took a shower before leaving the apartment. This scene was finally uncovered about two days later, on August 26th, after Christina Powell's parents were unable to reach her on the phone, they decided to show up at the off-campus apartment complex where their daughter lived and also where Sonia Lawson had lived too. Classes were scheduled to begin the next day. When no one answered the door though, they asked a maintenance worker to let them in. Now the building manager said that they would have to wait for police to arrive. When the police went in, the maintenance worker was right behind them. Now, the building manager and the maintenance worker were behind the police. So when the police opened the door to the apartment complex, 
the maintenance worker turned around and ran down the stairs screaming, oh my God, and he vomited everywhere. Now keep in mind that the parents of one of the students were right there watching all of this happen. The police quickly discovered that Pal had been raped and stabbed to death. Her partially clothed body was lying on the living room floor. Larson was in the upstairs bedroom, nude and lying back on the bed with her feet on the floor and her hair fanned out. The police also noticed that there was evidence that both girls had been bound with duct tape at some point, but the killer, who wedged a screwdriver into the front door to break in, had taken it with him. Investigators believed that the students had likely been dead between 48 and 72 hours before they were found. Eight hours later, on the morning of Monday, August 27th, Sheriff's deputies found 18-year-old Krista Leet Hoyt dead in her apartment about two miles away from the first crime scene after the Santa Fe Community College student and aspiring law enforcement officer didn't show up for her midnight shift at the Alutra County Sheriff's Office where she was a part-time records clerk. It turned out two days prior on August 25th, Rowling broke into the apartment of the 18-year-old. He pried open a sliding glass door with a screwdriver. Soon after entering, he found out that she wasn't home. Instead of leaving, he decided to wait until she got home. At about 11 a.m., Hoyt entered the apartment and Rowling surprised her from behind, placing her in a chokehold. After she had been subdued, he used duct tape to gag her mouth and bind her wrists together behind her back and led her into the bedroom. He cut the clothes from her body and raped her. As in the Powell murder, he forced her to lie face down onto the bed and stabbed her in the back which ultimately ruptured her aorta. He then flipped her body over and sliced her abdomen open from her pubic bone to her breastbone. After arriving back at his campsite, Rowling could not find his wallet. Thinking he may have lost it at the murder scene, he returned there, at which time he decapitated Hoyt posed her body in a sitting position at the edge of her bed and placed her head on a shelf facing the corpse. He later claimed his intent was to add the shock of whoever had discovered her. By this point, students had began withdrawing from classes and students had began going home. Some students even decided to go to a whole different college just entirely. Now, also by this point, the murders had attracted widespread media attention and 
it was becoming known what was going on in the town of Gainesville throughout the entire country. These murders were bringing a memory of crimes that had happened not too long before these crimes were happening, and those were the crimes of Ted Bundy. It wasn't uncommon to hear around the campus that another Ted Bundy was on the loose. On Monday, August 27th, the first day of class, Danny Rowling broke into an apartment that was rented out by Tracy Paulez, aged 23, and also age 23, her roommate, Manny Taboda. Rowling broke into the apartment by a similar way as he had done in the prior crimes. He pried open the sliding glass door with the same tools he had used previously. Rowling found Taboda asleep in one of the bedrooms and killed him after a struggle. Hearing the commotion, Paulus went down the hall to Taboda's room and saw the killer. Now, she attempted to barricade herself in her bedroom, but Rowling broke through that door. He then taped her mouth and her wrists, cut off her clothing, and just like prior victims had endured, he raped her. Before turning her over and stabbing her three times in the back, Rowling posed Paula's body but left Tabota's in the same position in which he had died. With the exception of Tabota, all the victims were petite white brunettes with brown eyes similar to Danny Rowling's mother. Although law enforcement initially had very few leads, police did identify a suspect. The suspect was named Edward Lewis Humphrey. Now, I mentioned Danny Rowling's name because that's the actual killer. But this suspect, and at that time, before Danny Rowling was caught, Edward Lewis Humphrey was the main suspect. He was actually a University of Florida student who had a history of mental illness, and he had numerous scars on his face after a car accident, which may have helped sway the public into believing it was this evil, scarred man who was going around committing these crimes. Humphrey was arrested after a altercation with his grandmother, and he was held in custody for five months, actually, until a grand jury refused to indict him on the murder charges, and it was due to insufficient evidence of the case. Unfortunately, it was too late because his reputation had already been ruined for so long. At this point, the murders had stopped, so it was believed that Humphrey was the guy. 
It was believed that until investigators began digging deeper. On November 4th, 1989, there were a series of murders. It was a triple murder in Shreveport. After looking into the case, detectives noted that there were similarities between the Gainesville murders and those of the murders that took place on November 4th, 1989, which ended up killing 55-year-old Tom Grissom, his 24-year-old daughter, Julie, and his 8-year-old grandson, Sean. The family had been attacked in their home as they were preparing dinner. Afterwards, Julie Grissom's body had been mutilated, cleaned, and eerily posed. Don Maines, which was an investigator on the case with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, traveled to Shreveport in November of 1990 because of these similarities between the murders committed in Gainesville and the murders committed there in Shreveport. They included posing of the victims, duct tape residue on their bodies, and oddly enough, vinegar was used to clean the bodies. Don Main said that they tested the body fluids from the perpetrator in Shreveport and found that this person also had type B blood. He called the match to the evidence in Gainesville a revelation in the case. Shortly after Don Main's trip to Shreveport, a Shreveport resident named Cindy Drosich called Crime Stoppers and reported that a man named Danny Rowling was possibly connected to the murders in both cities. Three months earlier, in August 1990, Jurisic heard a news report about a string of murders as she traveled through the Florida panhandle. The report made her think about Danny Rowling, who she had met at her Louisiana hometown church. And his possible link to these three other Shreveport murders, Rowling had said deeply disturbing things to both her and her then-husband. He would say things such as that he likes sticking knives into people, and he also said that, quote, one day I'm going to leave this town and I'm going to go where the girls are beautiful and I can just lay in the sun and watch beautiful women all day, end quote. News of the Gainesville murders had haunted Jurisich, so she finally contacted the police in November based on her hunch that Rowling was connected to the murders. Thankfully, she did, because investigators responded to the tip and quickly found Rowling, but coincidentally, he had been arrested on September 7th of 1990. He had committed a supermarket robbery, which landed him behind bars. The robbery had been committed 10 days after the bodies of Paulus and Taboda were found. Rowling was being held in the Marion County Jail, 40 miles south of Gainesville. Investigators determined that Rowling had type B blood, 
like the suspect in both the Gainesville and the Shreveport murders. Once the Florida investigators realized that Danny Rowling had multiple convictions of armed robbery, they realized he could have also been responsible for the bank robbery that occurred on the day Krista Hoyt's body was found. They returned to the evidence locker where the gun, screwdriver, bag of money, and cassette player had been stored and listened to the tape. They also found tools matching marks left at the Gainesville murder scenes. The small camp where he had been living was in a wooded area near apartment complexes frequented by students. Investigators discovered audio diaries he had made there alluding to the crimes. Later, it was discovered that on August 5th, 1990, Rowling broke into the home of Janet Frake in Sarasota, Florida. He bound and gagged her with duct tape while he sexually assaulted her, but did not kill her. In November of 1991, Danny Rowling was charged with five counts of murder. He was brought to trial nearly four years after the murders, and that was where he claimed that the motive of the crimes was to become a superstar similar to Ted Bundy. He was subsequently sentenced to death on April 20th of 1994. He was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and paraphilia. Just like the person that he wanted to be, Ted Bundy, Danny Rowling was executed on October 25th of 2006. He was pronounced dead at 6.13 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. His last meal was Lobster Tail, and he sung gospel hymns before he passed away. Danny Rowling had been thirsty for stardom. He would do anything for fame and notoriety, even if that meant killing and raping young women. Danny Rowling did become successful at one thing, and that was inspiring a hit horror film, as I mentioned earlier, titled Scream. I don't believe that the movie Scream should have said that this is what inspired us because that might have gave him some type of gratitude before he died in 2006. But it's hard to say what anybody would do in that situation, especially when asked as the writer or the director of the film. It may just be best to be honest and say this is where we got this idea from. These murders were horrible murders, and hopefully nothing like it is ever repeated again. It's hard to imagine that Florida students or any students in any college could go through something like this. And quite frankly, it would be terrifying if that happened today. I, for one, live near a few universities here in St. Louis, and I would be absolutely terrified if anything like that was happening anywhere in the country, especially near my apartment complex. Ladies and gentlemen, this is 
Box of Horrors, True Crime, and I hope you enjoyed learning about these heinous crimes that have occurred. And it's important to never forget these crimes and to never forget the victims. I call your name But you're not there Was I to blame For being unfair Don't you know I can't sleep at night Since you've been gone I never weep at night I can't go on Don't you know I can't take it You know I can't sleep at night But just the same I never weep at night I call your name Take it.